It'll be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 6 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and with me today is my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, last week you promised March Madness tweets by the truckload, so how have those tweets been going this weekend? Uh, they were, they've been going pretty well, I have to say. Um, obviously, there has been a lot to talk about with March Madness. However, of course, I did have to take a little bit of a hiatus last night after uh, after Tennessee's crushing defeat. I lay, I lay face down on the bed for about 30 minutes, mo- completely motionless. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, so I, you know, I, like I said, I had to take a, a bit of a hiatus to, to recover from that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm back at it now. There's already been, like, three upsets today so it's pretty insane yeah people people have so quickly forgotten about that upset which was a considerable upset tennessee you know played well they were down in the game came all the way back and then classic tennessee i think is what you would say you know losing it at the end yeah i would have rather they have gotten blown out honestly i mean yeah because i just knew coming down to the end especially when tennessee started making a comeback i was like no please don't do this to me but then they had to go and do it to me like usual but oh well there's always next year yeah and like i said people have already forgotten about that loss i don't know if you have but uh the, with the upsets that have already happened today it's it's just yeah. it's, this one's crazy that right. it is all right though it would be topically relevant we have no sports movies to talk about today though i suppose the athleticism of both of our female leads definitely play a role in their respective characters. Today we'll be tackling Red Sparrow and the Tomb Raider reboot. And why don't we start with the former, Red Sparrow? So Red Sparrow was released several weekends ago now, the weekend of the Oscars, in fact, on March 2nd, performing relatively strongly for a film that still had to contend with Black Panther's incredible box office performance. And, you know, that's even still now topping the box office. I just saw this weekend where it's still... It it finished ahead of Tomb Raider, so it still has legs. And and I know it's, it's creeping up on the... Uh, domestic top three. I think next weekend it might surpass uh, the original Avengers and and Jurassic World to take number three at the uh, box the domestic box office uh, record holder. However, this is about Red Sparrow since you know since Red Sparrow's opening weekend, it's taking a bit of a nosedive, dropping fifty percent each of the last two weekends in terms of uh, ticket sales, translating to only about one hundred and six million total gross revenue thus far. Uh, before we maybe get to some of the theories about why it hasn't had legs, this film is directed by Frances Lawrence, of no relation to the leading lady herself, Jennifer Lawrence, I believe. But Mr. Lawrence is of Hunger Games fame, where he directed the final three movies in the series, and of course, on which he first collaborated with Jennifer Lawrence. So, Miss Lawrence plays the role of Dominika Egorova, and she is joining the cast by Joel Edgerton, who plays American CIA operative Nate Nash. Matthias Schonertz, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who plays Dominika's uncle and Russian operative slash politician Ivan, and then as well as Jeremy Irons, who plays one of the high-ranking Russian officials above Ivan and the government. And there are a host of other people in this cast who may or may not be recognizable to, to some moviegoers. But I think this movie has received fairly divided or mixed reviews from critics. So, quick overview of the plot. What we're talking about here is we have uh, Dominika, who is a very famous or well-regarded ballerina um, 
of the Russian state, and she suffers this really horrible injury uh, at towards the beginning of the film, in, in the kind of developing the plot here. And she eventually, some things happen, and she's sent off, and basically her only choice to continue to support her family, and specifically her mother, who has uh, several uh, illnesses or disorders, she sacrifices her herself to the Russian state and becomes uh, an inner a training to become a Red Sparrow. And then over the course of the film, you see what that's like as she comes to terms with her role as a Red Sparrow and also working for the Russian government. Did I cover that thoroughly enough, do you think? Does that give a good, a good primer for our discussion? Yeah, yeah, I think that that just about does it. Awesome. So, like I said, why don't this one? This one's received some mixed reviews from critics. So, to start us off, I'd love to hear what you thought of the film. Yeah, I certainly haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it. Um, but I guess I would. What I would say is, this movie is it's it's it's. I'll be frank. It's a hot mess. The main concern that I have with it is is the tone of the movie um, because I f- I think that it takes it itself way too seriously um, for the type of movie it is and like especially in the first hour um, because just the, the very idea of there's this that there's this seduction school where Jennifer Lawrence has to go to learn the art of seducing men and like the, the the things which Charlotte Rampling, who plays the head of the seduction school, the things that she makes her pupils do in broad daylight in front of everyone. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It honestly is. And I really was not going with this movie at all um, for the first hour because of how um, how seriously it was taking uh, you know these frankly absurd. Um, proceedings at, at this you know this in the seduction school environment yeah and and, and not to mince words and not to mince words about this like what what is happening at this seduction school is like the equivalent of uh you know rape essentially i, I think it's very fair to say that for, forcing these people to have sexual interactions as like a, a form of training for their role well and and of course she does i mean not to spoil that much but she does actually experience rape while she's at the, sc- the school as well yep um which you know i think there's it seems like that's a, the nat- the natural consequence of having something yep. as you know absurd of, as a seduction school, but but then you know the movie moves away from that setting um, a little bit as we move into uh, you know the the second half of the movie and as the plot starts to kick in. And I have to say that um, the last hour of this movie had me hooked. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, the plot had some really nice twists and turns, wasn't really expecting where it was going. Um, and, you know, especially, you know, there, there's one one twist at the end um, that I won't give away, at least not at this point. But I really appreciated the way that the movie um, built up to the twist. Something sort of we were talking about, you came up on last week's show, um, because the, the whole thing with me, for me, with plot twists is, for it to work, there needs to be um, like the audience needs to be able to figure out the plot twist with enough effort on their own. Like the perfect example to me is the Sixth Sense, of course, one of the most famous plot twists. Um, and the, the the thing which I think makes it so brilliant is because all of the clues are there throughout the movie. You know, if you pay attention, then you you know you can you can theoretically figure out what the twist ending is, and you know. At, Subsequently, after you do figure out what the twist ending is, when you go back and watch it the second time, you're like, man, how did I not see this the first time? So there's those kinds of movies, and then there's the ones where the twist ending is just something completely out of left field, that there's no way you could ever figure it out yep. um, based on you know what happens in the movie, and- which... 
me are the the ones that always ring very false. In in a um, recent movie that does that I had the, just this problem with came out last year a spy movie called uh, Atomic Blonde. I don't know if you saw it, but the I did not. the twist ending in that one is just absurd, like crazy out of left field. Did not see it coming at all. Anyway, th- this movie. Yeah, but the so the plot twist for me in this movie, the the one towards the end of the movie, um, you know, it it made sense um, and it it falls in that former category and. It even, you know, after revealing the twist, goes back and shows you, oh, here's all the ways, like, you know, that, that here's all the things which led up to this twist that you should have been paying more attention to when the movie was going on. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I definitely appreciated that. Um, and I think that, that you know, we'll, we'll talk about her performance more specifically, but I think that Jennifer Lawrence uh, really gives a, a star star performance here um, in, the, in this lead role of, of Dominica in which... She is asked to do and show pretty much everything. Um, so I, I think that her star power really carries this movie a long way, too. So, you know, I, I'm definitely very mixed on this movie. Um, I still think there are, uh, you know, the, the first half still rings very false to me. And I don't know, it, it, it is maybe even a bit, a little bit problematic. But um, in the end, I think I came away mildly satisfied just because of how... Um, enthralling the last hour of this movie really is yeah i i agree i think i echo your sentiment that the the first half of the movie is in many ways quite repulsive i think i'm not someone who ever really considers walking out of a movie and i wasn't considering i won't say that i was considering walking out of it at, at any point but i will say it's that kind of content and that kind of just like lack of caring about every single character on screen that would lead someone to justifiably leave a movie. And I thought the first half was, was a miserable hour uh, to say, to say the least for me. And the second half recovers a bit. I'm maybe a little bit less hot on the second half than you are. It sounds like though I will say the, the last 10 to 15 minutes really hook me and I was absorbed by the twist that you're describing at the end of the movie where everything comes to comes together quite nicely to go back briefly to the first half I think that I actually found it quite problematic and I thought there were elements that translated from that first half carried over to the second half of the movie that were, were also problematic like it was an underlying theme throughout the film that was just kind of you know, on full display in the first half. And and we will talk about that in just a moment. But I do want to echo that, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence pretty much carries this movie, especially in the first half. Like, there's no there's no redeeming qualities to me in the first half of the movie except for the fact that Jennifer Lawrence is spectacular, even with her kind of weird Russian accent that, you know, it was believable enough. But I, we'll, we'll talk about a worse accent accent later in the show. But um, hers hers wasn't, wasn't great. I, I always just find it tough when actors and actresses have to do accents that aren't their own because i never really find them to be quite spot on but maybe that was just me i don't know yeah, no i think i think it, it was it, it did at times verge into to too much of a, a stereotypical you know russian accent um that you know if you're fooling around with your buddies and you're drinking and you might try and do a, a russian accent and that's kind of what it sounds like um right and and so so yeah um you know, I, I agree though of that I think accents, you know, can can be uh, uh, can be troublesome for for a lot of actors, um, especially depending on how distinct the accent is. Sure. Um, I, you know, but I think you know there there are obviously a, a wealth of good examples. I think uh, 
one that comes to mind is Emma Watson. I think did a, did a, does a very convincing uh, American accent in some movies. Yeah, I feel like I'm like people generally get away with with, with American accents pretty well because there's such a. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because I. I have experienced a diverse dialect of different English accents over the over the course of my yeah, twenty two plus years of life now. But nevertheless, back back to the movie. I do want to drill in a little bit more first as our, as our kind of like first talking point about this this theme of power in the film, and and we describe that as this, or I should say, you described it as being on full display in this. Um, in this seduction school, which, which some people have uh, funnily kind of coined it that sexpionage school, I think I think it's what is what I've heard a few people say. But I do want to focus in because this is a this is a theme throughout the movie. I think it's pretty hard to deny that it doesn't just take place in the first half, but it's just a little bit more obvious in the first half, right? So this theme of power and you know essentially exerting power in the form of rape and violence against women perpetrated specifically by men so talking talking about men exerting their power this way so it, it's a it's really obvious to point out examples of this in the first half of the movie but i think there are also plenty of examples of this uh, outside of, of the seduction school not to go into any spoilers here but there are several uh, scenes in the second half of the film that that show pretty brutal violence against women and i found it to be gratuitous i think is the word that i would use it seems unnecessary like there was definitely a point where i no longer needed to see the violence to understand what the movie was trying to do and it, and in in fact i i'd say that the movie pretty early on went went way too far in in its displays of violence like i just don't think that american like you, i don't think this movie to be authentic has to display just like gross amounts of violence against women and i don't think that 2018 america needs to see a movie full of this level of violence against women. I don't know how you feel about this point. Well, yeah, I, th- I think just the, the main problem I have is that I don't think that it's necessary for Jennifer Lawrence's character to go through all that she goes to goes, goes through um, in order to, you know, become empowered or, you know, do whatever the movie is trying to, uh, you know, do with all, you know, building up all of these, you know, traits in, in Jennifer Lawrence only to have her, you know, become the, the superior figure in the end. Uh, I don't think that, you know, she needs to be, we have to see her basically raped twice in the first half of this movie, or, you know, you mentioned a lot of the violence. I think, I, I agree. I think it, it does take it too far. I don't think that it's necessary to, to take it to that extent in order to, you know, say what the movie is trying to say, especially because, you know, in the end, the way that Jennifer Lawrence's character kind of is, is able to succeed is by using her mind. Yep. And I was exactly going to say that. That's a great that's point. That's something that we know from the beginning. We know that she's a very intelligent person. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with her going through seduction school or, uh, you know, undergoing all of this, this violence. So really, I think that, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the sexual, um, stuff while, while brutal to watch, um, some of the scenes in the in the seduction school probably were more, you know, trying to titillate the audience um, to some extent. Um, so, you know, I, I I would push back against against those a little bit. Yeah, I I agree, and I was actually going to point that out. So I'm glad you did. Is that after all of this kind of buildup of how essentially how you dominate this society is by through shows of power, like Jennifer Lawrence does what some might say is the opposite of that and uses her mind to to outsmart 
some some people who are threatening her essentially i don't think that gives too much away at the end of the movie but to me it just seems like this this i think this movie like on its surface like tries to be a at a very low level maybe but like a a a female empowerment film of like oh like this this woman who has been kind of in some in some ways like really oppressed by men throughout her life tries to like, like essentially like perseveres in the end but for some reason all like pretty much all that i think about about this movie and what i associate with in terms of like women in this movie is just how much violence is done to them even if jennifer lawrence does succeed in the end so i think that that's a huge shortcoming for this film for me yeah and i think honestly i think the movie might have been better off not even trying to be a female empowerment movie just because of what i said earlier with the way that the tone is inconsistent like i feel like maybe the movie should have just you know, since it is so over the top in parts, should have just gone all the way with it, gone all the way over the top, just made this, you know, a completely trashy but fun thriller. Um, and I feel like maybe it would have been more successful, uh, you know, other than, you know, besides trying to treat uh, all of this stuff as so serious and that, you know, Jennifer Lawrence has to go through all of this brutal violence and, and rape um, before she can, uh, you know, achieve a position of power where um you know she can ultimately achieve success in this movie and, and defeat her enemies um i think that you know maybe the movie should have just gone all the way over the top with it and and tried to be a an enjoyably trashy thriller yeah and that, that's an interesting point i i don't know what even over the top would like uh, what you're even describing would look like on the screen i think i think that's hard to fathom but i think that a different tone which which may be what you're kind of more pushing towards like a different a different less serious tone for the film is something that i think would have would have benefited the movie quite a bit because i know you mentioned this kind of in your initial thoughts a little while ago but i i agree that this film for for the content it puts in front of you takes itself far too seriously at times yeah and you know there there's kind of there's a genre of this uh that this movie could fit into you know when i talk about movies going over the top you know there's kind of these in the 90s really there were a lot of these big like erotic thrillers is kind of what they're known as Um, basic instinct and and, yeah exactly movies like basic instinct uh wild things is another good example um and you know these movies are just absolute camp absolute trash but they're fun like they're fun to watch because of how far over the top they go um and, you know, because it just it just becomes ridiculous to a certain point, and you know you kind of go along on the roller coaster ride with the with the movie. Um, so, and I feel like I, I, you know, the movie does turn into a solidly entertaining, well crafted um, spy thriller in the second half. But I think it could have had more fun just with the general cons- central conceit of the film instead of really diving down in the in the dumps, really, uh, with these really dark scenes. Agreed. I think moving on now to kind of uh, the second broader point that I'd like to talk about, I'd like to talk some about the cast. So we've talked quite a bit about Jennifer Lawrence, and I'd love to keep talking about her performance because we've, we've been pretty negative on this film so far, and she is a shining light, I think, in, in this movie, as well as some of the other performers. I, mean, I mentioned a few at the beginning, and you've mentioned some already, but this includes Joel Edgerton, who plays Nate Nash, as well as Matthias Schonutz, who plays... Uh, plays Jennifer Lawrence's uncle in the movie, and then we also have kind of a, a more minor role, but the role of Jeremy Irons, who plays a general in the Russian kind of, I don't know, if you'd even call it like political system or, or government. Well, on, on the Jeremy Irons note, um, 
I think this movie has far too little Jeremy Irons in it, which is something you could probably say about 90% of the movies movies which feature Jeremy Irons, <laughs> that they don't feature enough Jeremy Irons. Um, because I do think, you know, he's he's a very, uh, he's a, a scenery-chewing supporting actor who uh, is perfect for this kind of movie, um, especially, you know, if it, it had kind of gone the direction that I uh, was just alluding to. Um and so, you know, I think that he definitely makes the most of his scenes, particularly towards the end of the movie when some things are revealed about his character. Um, and, but, and I mean, yeah, like back to Jennifer Lawrence's performance, yeah, I think that this is the kind of, you know, no-holds-barred, like, risk-taking performance that Jennifer Lawrence, that kind of, like, was how Jennifer Lawrence made her name uh, in movies like um, Silver Linings Playbook, where she won an Oscar, you know, by playing this hypochondriac, um, you know, mentally, mentally, uh, disturbed character, basically. Um, and, and even going further back to winter's bone, which is kind of the movie where she made her name. Yeah. Um, and th- I, I remember seeing that movie after, um, it came out and thinking that Jennifer Lawrence was going to, you know, become a star. And, and of course she did starring yeah. in the hunger games movies, but I would say I American, think, American know, hustle is also a great example of an over the top yeah. performance. Yeah. And I, but I think that, Recently, and, and you know, you kind of mentioned this on a previous episode, I think. Um, may, maybe she hasn't been choosing the best roles, um, and, and she has kind of fallen off the radar a little bit. Like, you know, at, at one point she was sort of the it girl in Hollywood, and you know, she was she was the one who everyone wanted um, to cast. Now, honestly, I, I feel like maybe like Saoirse Ronan might be becoming that kind of it girl character, uh, it girl actress. But um, yeah, I was just really confused why she played like in movies like Passenger, for example, is one that I yes, thought was exactly. just like confusing. Uh, Joy, which yeah. was another David O. Russell movie, like Silver Linings Playbook, and um, and then Mother uh, last American year. Hustle. Yeah, but it, it it didn't strike me as the the type of adventurous role that she was doing in those movies. But you know, back to this movie though i mean she absolutely is uh you know back to her best um really puts it all out there literally and figuratively um with this role um and so i really appreciated her willingness because because she is such a well-established name because she is a a just despite maybe some some recent missteps she is a bona fide movie star um and in those performances and in those other performances that we kind of maligned a little bit here like she's still a very like she's still a strong role in most of those films like her performance in joy like nominated her for an oscar i believe so it's not like she's not performing strongly in those movies yeah but you know it's it's sort of about that when you become a big enough star you can kind of fall into uh, a, a safety zone of a sort when you're picking your roles, but sure. she certainly doesn't do that here um, with with this role, and I think all the better for it. Um, you know, just like I said, to see a, to see a movie star um, taking on an adventurous role like this, I think is really great. Um, now, as far though as um, the supporting cast, um, I, Joel Edgerton's performance did absolutely zero for me in this movie, um, and. The chemistry between him and Jennifer Lawrence was non-existent. Yeah, like, weird at best. <laughs> completely non-existent. Like, I did not believe for a second that they would have any sort of relationship. Um, and, I mean, a lot of that was to do with the Joel Edgerton character. He was just so bland. Like, we don't really learn that much about him. Um, it, 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 I don't know. I don't know if it was his performance, his character, whatever, but it, the whole thing was just very one-note. Um, and... And they, know, they just had some I, weird scenes together, too. Like, some really yeah, but, strange scenes. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I again, I don't understand why Jennifer Lawrence's character 
falls for him in this movie. Um, and actually, I thought that at one point in the movie, the, the director was actually going to reveal that he was kind of pulling our, the wool over our eyes with um, this relationship. And, you know, if, if we want to get into spoilers, we can talk about the scene I'm referring to. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. We'll get to spo- like spoilers in a few minutes. Okay, yeah. But there's, there, there's one moment, one scene where I thought that maybe, you know, I was wrong about, like, you know, that he, he had been fooling us all along with this relationship. But then that's kind of not what happens, um, which I thought could have been a potentially interesting direction to go. But yeah, that was the one. Um, that was the one issue I had as far as the cast in this movie. Uh, but I, I also think that the aforementioned Charlotte Rampling um, does a an admirable job with a, a thankless role, pretty much as the head of this seduction. Yeah, I didn't understand why she had a British accent. To be to be fair, I mean, I know Charlotte Rampling like is British, but I didn't understand why this Russian institution has a has a British lady in charge of it. We're not going to talk. We're not going to dive into that because it's just another strange thing about this film, full of strange things in it. But uh, something something worth noting. But for me, I, I agree with you. Like Joel Edgerton, I like Joel Edgerton. Like I don't, I wouldn't say I'm in love with him. I don't dislike him. But like his character in this movie is just. Uh, it's whatever I guess is the best way to describe it. And uh, echo as I already kind of said your your statement of the lack of chemistry between he and Jennifer Lawrence. And there's one scene in particular where I was just like very confused during during like what like what was happening based on their chemistry, which maybe we can we can touch on in just a few moments. But I will say that I enjoyed uh, Matthias Schoenartz's performances, though he wasn't given too much screen time in the end. Although he was like kind of a constantly present individual he, he wasn't you know outstanding he wasn't um you know, he wasn't underwhelming either i guess he he was solidly average i'd say yeah i think i think he was a he was a good villain um sure he, he was he was the type of villain which this movie called for exactly exactly all right yeah so let's, let's take the gloves off let's talk spoilers let's talk the second half of this film and, and the and the plot unraveling a bit and i'd love to just start with with you, like you said, if you, like I got, like I just mentioned, we're going to talk spoilers here. So if you haven't seen this film and you plan on it, uh, check a look, take a look at the time codes. Skip forward to our next discussion because now we're going to talk full spoilers. So the scene which I was alluding to, and you may have known this, but um, is the scene where Joel Edgerton's character is being tortured um, by one of the other Russian operatives. Um, and also Jennifer Lawrence's character is there. Basically, she wakes up and discovers that he's being tortured. Um, but what happens is, you know, he's tortured. Th- this other operative is torturing him, trying to get information from him um, about who his contact in the Russian government is. And Jennifer Lawrence takes the torture equipment and, uh, you know, starts trying to actually does start torturing him uh it's like a skin grafter or something it's it's extremely brutal um but i thought that maybe in that moment uh because there is sort of this conflict you see with jennifer lawrence's character throughout the whole movie like there there, there's still a doubt even when she's you know expressing her feelings for to the joel edgerton character you know is she really you know you know moving towards the american side of things or is she really is this all part of her game is this all part of how she's seducing him in order to get the information for the russian government so i thought and i you know it it certainly seemed like you know at that point in the movie she was leaning towards that she actually was falling for this guy whether as believe you know whether it was believable or not but so then when that happened i was really like i kind of got excited because i thought oh this is interesting like they're it this is supposed to be like a twist, you know, she's actually, 
still working for the Russians, and she's been working for the Russians all along. But then that's not exactly what happened. She, she basically she grabbed the torture equipment uh, just so she could get the upper hand on the, the other guy who was who had been torturing him. And yeah, I don't even. Re- him. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't even remember his name. He's just a very bland Russian thug. Yeah. So that was very short lived. But but, but then the know, brilliant I'm, part of this is definitely like the actual ending and and when you when you see all the pieces put together to talk about something more positive here like like the the ending is is really special in my mind like this is this is one of the better uh, plots coming together in the end it, that I've seen in quite a while. Right. So what we get, of course, in the ending is that um, you know she's discovered that Jeremy Irons is actually the mole um, who was helping the American government um, and. He's basically accepted that, uh, you know, he, he basically tells her to turn him in um, and that, uh, you know, so that so that she can continue working for the Russians. But in doing so, basically take over Jeremy Irons' role and continue actually helping the Americans. Um, at least that was my understanding of it. Um, and how so so Jeremy Irons basically accepts his death and there's a great scene where you see him sitting down like he's in front of the fireplace like he has a drink and I, at least what I understood what I took from that scene is that he thought that um, he thought that he was about to die and so he you know basically set up the circumstances for his own death and he was just sitting there waiting for you know the Russians to show up and kill him um, but then of course it, it, it is revealed that uh, Dominica has set up her her uncle um, to to take the fall as the mole, even though he's not really the mole. Um, no, he, he is. He's, he's definitively not the mole. He's yeah. just like the uh, he's the person who she assigns the blame for her life circumstances at this point. Right, and understandably so. He's obviously a creep. Like yeah, and he also tortured her. To be fair, we we've kind of skipped over yeah, that, yeah. but he has been also responsible for uh, torturing her for several days. And then they kiss and one really awkward scene but um but but basically yeah so basically good defeats evil in a clever very clever way in the end um you know even though jeremy irons is the actual mole the the true villain of the movie dominica's uncle is the one who ends up going down for it um and so it's 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 definitely a great great reveal at the end of the movie when they're on the the airplane runway and it's revealed that her uncle is actually the man who the Russians have. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it was a great twist. Like I said, yeah, I would say that that my opinion of the movie in the last fifteen minutes improved dramatically. <laughs> I, I'd say, uh, I mean, we'll talk scores in a little bit, but it, it, I can't, I can't say that I was very high on this film at all until the final reveal. That's when yeah, it really. And one thing we didn't talk about another another section of this film towards the end that we didn't talk about um is the section involving mary louise parker's character um which i thought was also a very entertaining um uh segment of the movie and you know actually had some humor in it uh, which is something this movie could have used more of i think um i, I enjoyed mary louise's part mary louise parker's um uh, performance as this alcoholic she's the u.s the camp- the... campaign manager yeah she's like the assistant to the uh u.s senator yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. That are you talking about the scene in the hotel? Is that the one you're? Yeah, yes. that that was a, that was one of the better scenes in, in the movie, in my opinion, for sure. And I mean, we don't have to explain the whole scene to everyone, but I, I agree that that this movie lacked comedy. But what it did a really good job of is it it, it kept its, <laughs> for better or worse, it kept its tone of very ser- of like a very serious, intense uh, tone to the film, and also injected 
a good amount of humor in that scene without without sort of relieving the tension of the moment either. Yeah, definitely, because it, you know at the same time you have you know the oper- these operations going on of where uh, you know Jennifer Lawrence is trying to hide the is it a flash drive or something so that the American operatives can recover it. Correct. Yeah, and and the unplanned part of this that made it tricky was the fact that the the I guess the the site manager from the site yeah. she had been deployed into. Boss. Every dude in this movie is so creepy. Yeah, I don't even I don't even remember his name. But was it who's it Sierra Hines who plans him? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Yeah, I could be wrong. I know Sierra Hines is in this movie. I just can't remember uh, which character he was. But anyway, yeah, very creepy. Uh, there, I mean, there was a great scene where uh, Jennifer Lawrence confronts him and. In a, in, a sh- in a strip club, club. yeah, that, and, was a, that was also a great scene. And and, and <laughs> I, uh, I mean, this this movie is very graphic, but I think it's worth noting that the best line in the movie about how he ta- she talks about his micro penis. <laughs> so, <laughs> such a great such a great line, um, and and well and well worth it given the serious tone of the movie. Anyway, I, I don't know if you have if I have much more to add. The I've kind of shown my cards in the in the highs of this film where. Jennifer Lawrence and the ending. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about before we kind of wrap things up. Uh, I think we we've generally covered uh, my feelings on the movie. You know, like I said, was very lukewarm for a while. I, well, not that I, I was I was disliking it for a while. Um, yep. But it it, I, it won me over in the end to where I would even give it a slight recommendation. I think that it is it is worth seeing. Yeah. It's very, it's very smart in its second half, and I, I jokingly told someone that I was talking with about this movie that, honestly, you should just show up an hour late, and <laughs> you'd like the movie more. Anyway, so before we get to get to any ratings, why don't we talk about a favorite scene or, or moment from this film, if you have one? Yeah, I think, uh, I, think I just have to go... I, I'm going to go with that torture scene that I mentioned earlier, um, just because, even though it, it didn't... It didn't end up doing the, you know, the, with the twist that I thought it was going to, um, you know, with Jennifer Lawrence's character actually, you know, still working for the Russians. Um, I thought that, um, you know, the, the way that it kept you guessing throughout the scene um, was a great job and really, um, it, it really embodied the suspense that I felt through a lot of the, the last part of this movie, you know, just wondering you know, what, where is Jennifer, what direction is Jennifer Lawrence's character going to go in? Because she really is caught in the middle between the Americans and the Russians. Um, so I thought that that was uh, the scene where that, that tension really came together and, and really came to a head. Yep. Um, For so, sure. so that would be, be my choice. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that is a, is a scene that definitely stands out in my mind. For, for me, my, my different moment is definitely the one I just mentioned about her confronting her creepy boss in the nightclub, but as for a scene, I think it's hard to, to go with any scene except for the last one for me, when when it does make the twist, the big reveal, you know, even up to the very last moment, you're not exactly sure what's going to happen, and then when you finally do see what's taking place, it's it's beautifully put together in the end of a movie that I had extreme doubts that it was going to do anything clever in the final moments, and so I was really, really pleasantly surprised by it and, and enjoyed that final scene. Awesome. So, all right, let's let's give some some scores to this. I have a feeling this is going to be our lowest rated movie so far that we've done on our podcast. Granted, we've only really talked about you know Oscar nomination worthy films thus far, including you know two weeks ago we talked about Black Panther and Annihilation. But what did you think in terms of a score for Red Sparrow? Well, I hate to do this, but because this movie um, does have 
it's it's it is a very uh, erotic thriller. I guess I would say. I think I would be remiss if I didn't give this movie a six point nine. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, little listeners know I did not know that he was going to write that, but that is that, wow! Wow, that's great. Um, all right, yeah. So fa- fair enough. I'm not going to debate that score with you, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna clock in considerably lower, more than a point lower than you. I, th- I think actually with about a, a five point eight. I just think that this first half is of this film is miserable, and I think that it really. Like, what sits with me most is not the positives. What sits with me most is all the negatives of this film. And as good as Jennifer Lawrence and the and the ending pull this film out of, you know, what I would really call the depths of a negative score, like, a, uh, this film still, I, I can't give a positive review to. And I, and I hesitate to recommend it except for the, the most dedicated of, of spy film fans. And it, Yeah. It, go ahead. Uh, in, in actuality, it's probably, like, closer to a 6.4, 6.5 for me. But, I you know, I couldn't miss the opportunity given... Uh, you know what type of movie this is, and, and and you know what what one of the central plot conceits of this movie is. Sure, absolutely, and, and I and I have admirable respect for your score choice. But <laughs> I'm gonna. Shouldn't. It was a very bad joke. But. Yeah. No. Never. Nevertheless, it, it fits well with this this movie. Although, granted, its jokes were usually pretty good. Anyway, uh, yeah, five point eight for me, six point nine for you. I'd love to just take one last moment before we wrap this up and, and ask you what your verdict is for this film as a spy movie in the spy genre. Um. You know, I think it it pushes a lot of familiar buttons. Um, you know, uh, you know, of past spy movies like um, Mission Impossible. The the first Mission Impossible, for example, came to mind at certain points. You know, even even some James Bond movies, I guess. But I think it, it does distinguish itself simply because it has a female protagonist. Um, and you know, like we got Atomic Blonde last year, which you mentioned, which is kind of a similar type film it's tonally um, very similar but yeah atomic blonde was i guess it, it was bad in different ways and, and and good in different ways in this film i think that, that some some attention should be um given to perhaps the sort of female james bond type series um you know i don't think that this movie um you know sets the state or you know is the model which those those movies should uh should draw on. i hope not um yeah but i do think that it um it is it is uh, distinguishes itself in the spy genre simply because it has a female protagonist, and we do not see a lot of spy movies which have female protagonists. Um, and you know, even though I talked about how you know maybe this movie would have been better off not being a female empowerment movie, it is still good to see uh, you know that female empowerment element in the end, especially because you know the spy the spy genre is dominated, like I was saying, by by a lot of male. Um, male heroes and you know james bond for as much as i enjoy a lot of the movies in the james bond series he's kind of a chauvinist um so it was uh you know it it was it was good to see a spy movie that um maybe uh at least in the second half um values the role of women more than a lot of the james bond movies do agreed yeah i think i i agree with your take for the for the most part i hope that this is not a model that that any potential female bond franchise follows but it's good to see a female uh, lead even even though Atomic Blonde did come out last year, I thought that was a a subpar film at best, and and this one maybe barely surpasses it, but is largely brought down by by different things outside of what I would call like the spy genre. Like it's brought down by its its theme of like sexual exploitation more more than more than anything for me. All right, I think I think that that should just about uh, do it for our discussion of Red Sparrow. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about the reboot of a franchise that's been dormant on the big screen since two thousand three. Tomb Raider. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It's God. Next up for discussion, we have the reboot of the Tomb Raider franchise, aptly named Tomb Raider, directed by Roar Uthog, who is probably not well known to American audiences. I believe this is his first U.S. film, though the internet may prove me wrong on that. I don't know. We'll see. Regardless, replacing Angelina Jolie, who played the titular Tomb Raider Lara Croft in the original two movies back in the early 2000s, is the Oscar-winning actress Alicia Vikander. Though only 29, several of her roles have already been widely praised, including her role in Ex Machina, directed by Alex Garland, who we talked about in our last episode with Annihilation, but most of all for her role in The Danish Girl, which won her an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Admittedly, Tomb Raider is a very different role from either of those just mentioned, and I'm sure we'll talk about how she fares in that role, but she's joined in the cast by Dominic West, who plays her father, Walton Goggins, who plays the villain, and Daniel Wu, who plays a sort of sidekick for Lara Croft in this movie. I know I have a lot of thoughts because I'm a big fan of the video game reboot, which came in 2012, I believe, or 2013, uh, which this movie is based off of. But I'd love to get your your thoughts on it as well as maybe a a quick plot primer before I jump into the ring on this one. Yeah, so like you said, this movie is based on um, the contemporary series of uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider video games. Of course, you know, many people will be familiar with Lara Croft, the character from, uh, you know, the original video game series, which dates back to the mid-90s. She, she's considered to be one of the first female heroines in video games, um, and certainly probably the most famous um, uh, in, in the history of video games. Um, but, you know, those original series of games were more about the action, more about navigating the tombs and the, the puzzles within them uh, than they were about the story. But when Square Enix rebooted the series uh, back a few years ago, uh, they, they tried to take a more cinematic, more narrative-driven um, uh, approach to the game. Um, and and that, so that is why this movie has chosen to draw on uh, the recent series of, of games. But uh, as far as, you know... The, the setup for this movie, um, Lara Croft is, uh, she lives in East London. Uh, she's working as a bike courier. She's really kind of has no direction to her life since her father, um, who's played by Dominic West, as you mentioned, uh, disappeared when she was young. Um, seven seven years a, prior to the movie. Yep. Right. While he was on an expedition somewhere. And Lara really, she's never really bothered to try and investigate um, into her, her father's you know, whereabouts or, or what happened to him really, or what, what he was doing um, until, uh, you know, w- w- this movie opens and she, she basically accepts, uh, you know, his estate uh, that he had signed over to her a long time ago. And in doing so, she discovers um, some materials uh, which lead her to uh, investigate her father's whereabouts and you know, lead her to the island where her father um was last seen and where, where he last traveled before he disappeared, um, which is where she, she eventually meets up with Walton Goggins, um, who is uh, sort of the villain in this movie. Um, and, and really what they're, what they're searching for is, has to do with what's the, what's the name of the, uh, the woman whose uh, tomb they're searching for? Emiko. Yes. Uh, she has a sort of power of life over death. Um, 
that that they're searching for our tomb and whatever secrets lie within it um sort of indiana jones style um and and so you know both uh richard croft laura's father and the walton goggins character are sort of uh have this central goal in mind and and so laura gets involved when she eventually ends up on the island um and hijinks ensue um my my general thought uh, on this movie is, I guess, could be summed up with one word. I don't even know if it's a word or if it's just like an emotion or a sound, but meh. Um, this movie just really it doesn't do anything for me. Um, it's not it's not a bad movie, um, but there's no there's nothing original here. Um, there's nothing that distinguishes it from dozens of other movies just like it. Um, some of the action is good. You know, I think that Alicia Vikander's performance is good. Um, but overall, this was just a very bland um, adventure to me. Um, and and I, I'm, I was disappointed because I, I, too, like you, enjoyed the video game, which this was based off of. And while I, you know, don't remember a lot of the plot from that, um, I felt... Like, I, I, you know, I was pretty drawn in by the story, at least in the game. Um, but that certainly did not happen in this movie. Um, you know, I was looking at my watch a lot while I was watching it. Let's let's just say that. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, to be, and to be fair, like, this this film, this, so there's this curse, right, of the video game to film adaptions. Like, the, the film adaptions of video yes. games. Like Assassin's publicized uh, curse. <laughs> yeah, Assassin's Creed is probably the most recent victim of this, and it was a garbage movie. Uh, and I, I will think that I will say that this film only only very loosely is based off the video game plot. I I was watching this film and I didn't really remember the video game plot that well. And then I realized why I was like confused with some of the things that happened in the in the film is because when I went back and checked, like the the actual plot of this film takes some very very different approaches. To yeah, I mean we won't get into spoilers yet, but. But some of the choices in terms of the, in the in terms of the characters that you even see on the screen are completely different from the video game, and I wouldn't necessarily say that's a positive thing. But for for me, it's really it's really tough because I'm with you. I think that this this movie is is so meh. Like the like I would even say I would even go as far as to say that like the the story that is, that you have found uninspiring in this film is like actually kind of garbage and like isn't even somewhat good. So I'm just curious to know why you feel strongly because like I you know my impression of the plot was I it did not make me feel any strong emotion one way or the other so I'm wondering what about it exactly makes you tend trend towards neg- more negatively with your attitude towards it. Yeah, I think that's a fair question. For me, I, it, it kind of starts at the beginning, right? So maybe this is just the misalignment with who I understand this Lara, Lara Croft character to be, and that is this person who's like very kind of eager about her father's passion, which was archaeology. So like this to kind of back up for a moment, like this film portrays her father as this essentially like big wig businessman who does some like archaeological stuff on the side that's kind of in secret and that's fine that's whatever but like Lara Croft like through and through like you talked about this original franchise and including I believe in the video in the reboot of the video game too is like someone who's very interested in not just finding her father that's definitely an element that's important and finding out what happened to him in the case of the video game but for me, the, the second component is, like, she's also, like, really interested in archaeology and these, like, 
ancient artifacts. For, in this in this instance, it, it's discovering what the deal is with Emiko's tomb on this island. And I don't get that impression whatsoever from the film. And that's not... I don't find that's because of Alicia Vikander's performance. I find that because, like, for some reason, like, Lara Croft's character is, like, developed so poorly in this film. It's like, there's... And if you think about it, it's like, she's this person who, like, doesn't really care at all about anything at the beginning of this film. And, and I guess, like, she's finally motivated by a puzzle that she's received from her father to, like, yeah. maybe find out what's happening. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, that, those motivations and leading her to go to the, even to the island make no sense to me. She's this person, like, we talked about her motivations and being non-existent, like, to go back even to the very beginning of the movie. Like, this opening scene with her and, like, the, the boxing uh, facility, like, I don't even know why that scene is in the film. Like, the, like this film's not that long. Like, you were talking about this looking at your watch a lot. Like, I don't think this film was that long, like an hour, 52 hours at most. But there's still so much filler in this movie, and that applies also, like, once they get on the island. The scenes which, which there I'm not going to talk about because of spoilers. But there's just, like, no motivations for any of these characters. There's, like, even the plot points that, that develop that I'm not going to go into because of spoilers, like, don't make much sense to me. Like, like what like how things develop, with yeah. the exception of once they finally get to the tomb, maybe. But but it just doesn't, like, this. it's just, gar- it's just garbage. It's not put together well. I don't know what they were thinking because it's not like it's one thing to to not adapt the video game plot because it's a 15 hour video game into a two-hour movie and i get that i understand you're gonna make you're gonna make changes to the plot but what i don't understand is like what they did here because what they did which i would argue is like mildly original in terms of not directly adapting the story of the game just it seemed like i had no effort put into it on any front like i can't even say like oh they focused on this instead of this like they just didn't focus on anything like maybe they were just more focused on the action sequences maybe i don't even know yeah going back to the boxing scene just thinking through it i think if anything that she just shows us that uh laura can fight because she does have to fight some in this movie and it's not without that scene i guess we wouldn't really maybe understand how exactly she's such a good fighter sure <laughs> because uh you know she does seem to to know what she's doing um from the very beginning when when she has to you know uh do some physical activity um to get out of situations um that's fair to show her physicality that i think that i think that's a fair point um but but yeah i agree with what you're saying about the the backstory is just very muddled and i think especially when you contrast it with a movie that we talked about in our last episode annihilation and we talked about how efficient the storytelling was in that movie and how quickly and you know effectively it set everything up gave us all pretty much all the motivations for the characters you know we understood who who all these characters were for the most part uh within 20 25 minutes and i think this movie tries to do that um but fails um pretty spectacularly um I mean, we, you know, we have a couple of little flashback sequences between Lara and her father, um, but I don't think we really get any real sense of what this relationship was like. Yeah, and, um, and all of them, are, and all these flashbacks are the same. They're literally just him leaving her <laughs> to, like, yeah. go on some expedition. And I'm like, honestly, I totally get why she's not interested in finding her father, because, like, the guy just seems like just someone who, like, consistently left her throughout the course of her life, and... To then, like, all of a sudden be... In, like, there's not a good motivation presented to me about, like, why she would all of a sudden be interested in finding him. Right, and, I, yeah, I don't think we understand that much about who Laura is as a person. 
Um, how, you know, however, you know, I think there, you can say something for the fact that, you know, as soon as she discovers these clues, she, she goes, I mean, she's, she goes off to the island. Like she's, she's determined to look for the island, look for her father. Yep. So I think, you know, you could say that maybe all along there was some part of her that, you know, wanted to find her father or, you know, to what, to your point, she, she secretly does have this sort of passion for archaeology and for this sort of exploration that uh, is required to, to find her father. And, you know, this finally has given her an excuse to sort of, you know, uh, use that passion and, and, uh, and embark on this, this quest to find her father. Maybe. I mean, I, I think I just disagree, though, because I, I don't think that... Well, no, I'm not, to, to be clear, I'm not saying that's what it is. If I'm, I'm probably reading way too much into the movie. I'm probably trying to giving the movie too much credit now, uh, yeah. overthinking it a little bit. But I, that, that was just a possible explanation. I mean, I mean, it's the only explanation you can come up with for, like, this plot to even, like, make any sense at all. Yeah. And if, and if that's the, like, if that's the, I guess, the avenue of, of, of thoughts you have to go with to justify the plot, I mean, that... I think that just proves that this movie does such right. a poor job developing right. its characters. And, and to say that, like, Lara, Lara Croft had a passion, like, if that's the case, it, nev- it never came out. Like, all I was presented with, like, okay, I guess maybe she's smart because she can work these clues out because maybe for, like, the earlier parts of her life when her father was gone, all she had was these, like, cryptograms that she could solve while he was, like, off doing whatever he was doing for, like, weeks, yeah. months at a time. But I, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just a mess. It's, a, it's, like, really, really messy, this plot. It doesn't make much sense to me. And also, like, if we're talking about you, you mentioned like we don't really have any sense of like who who Lara Croft is as a character, and I think that's fine. Like, it's fine to not know who she is as a character. I, in fact, I think the purpose of this film is an origin story. It's like understand who Lara Croft is, how she becomes this the quote yeah. unquote Tomb Raider. But the problem is, I don't think I get any of that in this film. Yeah, no, I think I I, I think that's fair. Like, I don't I I don't see you know I, like. The, the, the very thing which drives her to go on this journey in the first place is finding her father, not because she has some kind of love of archaeology, unless, you know, you want to do a very uh, overbroad reading of it like I did. Um, so, so you know, if they're trying to set up some sort of a franchise, I don't see what is going to be the jumping off point for future movies of why Laura is going to, you know, go on these further explorations. I mean, maybe we get a little bit of a sense of that at the end of this movie. But again, I, it's all—it's all just very muddled. Um, so, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I think there is a, a, you know, a good movie that could be made here. Oh, for uh, sure, absolutely. But I—I I don't know if this franchise is going in the right direction with it. Yeah, I, it's going to need to take a huge about face. They're definitely doing a second movie, uh, just based off the, like the video game franchise, right? Like, there's yeah. a second a second video game that's already been released since since the original game reboot in 2013 yeah. and actually taking advantage of the whole mar- marketing machine around this movie they just announced a third video game actually on thursday the day this film released or i guess the the day before this film released to the the kind of the culmination of her origin trilogy is what the video is what square enix is calling it um so there's definitely more movies to come and, and they set it up i mean they said i mean you can't even question it they definitely set up a sequel to this at the end of this film which i am not always a fan of um, having a little bit more background in this franchise from playing both of the rebooted video games, uh, I appreciated some of the stuff at the end, and I thought that was some of the better moments of the film, to be honest. I'm talking about like the very, very end, like the last couple scenes. Mm-hmm. But uh, otherwise, I, this film just didn't strike me very much. But one thing that did strike me 
about this film. And I think this is probably our other big talking point besides the whole plot and and how this movie adapted the f- adapted the video game poorly, in my opinion. But is 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 Lara Croft is Alicia Vikander's a char- like, role as Lara Croft and how maybe that compares to Angelina Jolie or and how she makes it her own or or how she adapts the video game's la- new Lara Croft. Well, so this is one area where I think that the filmmakers made the right decision. Um, I think that they learned from their past mistakes a little bit because Angelina Jolie, I think, was really cast in that original series because she was a movie star. I mean, Angelina Jolie is a movie star. Um, And also along the same lines, uh, she's she's a sex symbol. Um, And that's something I think that, like, at least until the the Square Enix series of games, was very central to the identity of Lara Croft as a character, um, was, like, her tight outfits. And all, you know, that that was some of the reason why the Lara Croft games became so popular in the first place, was because she was, like, a sexy heroine. Um, And so I think Angelina Jolie was cast, you know, possibly for that very reason. Um, You know, not to to take anything away from her acting ability. But... um, Oh, so I think that they, but it, obviously that didn't work because those movies were awful. The yeah. original Lara Croft series, and they canceled. Um, they had a third one uh, planned to be made, and they canceled it because of how poorly the second one did. I think that they went in the right direction with their, this time around. They weren't going to get a movie star, and they weren't. They were going to go after someone who could bring depth to this character. And so I think, in that regard, Alicia Vikander is a great pick um, because um, she's obviously you know she's established her. Her pedigree as an actress in those movies that you mentioned, um, you know, which are you know serious dramatic films. She's won an Academy Award, um, so so I think that they they went in the right direction with that um, because you know they are taking a more serious, uh, more in depth approach to the Lara Croft character. They really want it. At least it seemed to me like they really wanted to try and develop her as a character, um, you know, for this franchise. Uh, they probably didn't do so very successfully, but you know, because of the way the video game went, I think that, that was probably what they had in mind. Um, and then along the other lines, you know, uh, Alicia Vikander also is is not a sex symbol in the way that Angelina Jolie was. And I think that the movie, what what I like, what the movie does with her character is that it does not sexualize the character of Lara Croft in any way. Um, you know, her outfits aren't like they were in the original games and she doesn't have a romance with anyone in this movie um you know i think maybe there's a little inkling at at one point in the movie that she you know you you might be led to believe that she she would might is going to end up with uh lou way i think is his name the uh the the ship captain lou ren Um, i think it's ren i believe lou ren okay Yeah. yeah um but that, you know they don't go that way and that's something that i liked that's, you know, a, that's a, definitely a, a positive that was talked about previously like wonder woman for example which is a movie that i thought was great um and and did a bunch of great things with female empowerment however um i think you know in some respects negated a lot of what it did by having the romance between uh between wonder woman and, and steve trevor um so i think the movie you know takes the right approach uh, in that regards as well, with the character of Lara Croft. Um, you know, if I had a criticism for Alicia Vikander's performance, it's that, it, you know, maybe it's it's a little bland as well. Um, you know, and I, and I think some of that is the character and what we've talked about, how we don't really understand a lot about this character. Um, but I, I think she 
probably still could have brought, bought, brought a little more flavor to this character. Um, you know, I, I can't immediately off the top of my head think of how she might have done that. Um, and, you know, I think from an acting standpoint, she gives a good performance, especially for an action movie. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, maybe I, I, just a little more of a spark to the character either you know in the way it was written or in her performance probably would have done this movie a lot of good i i agree with that for the for the most part i i think i'm inclined to believe that a lot of the shortcomings in her in her character lie less with her acting and more with the character itself as you as you pointed out i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you there but i i agree as well that and so, sometimes her performance her delivery at least felt a little wooden and yes i was puzzled by that because at least my understanding of Lara Croft in this rebooted franchise is she's filled with lots of, in, in, in some ways, very complicated emotions about about and, and even in the in this film, if you think about how it developed, she, like Lara Croft should be someone who's filled with a lot of complex emotions. Like you don't get, as we've kind of talked about already, but you don't get the impression that she's someone who's like hungered to like learn what happened to her father potentially because her father like was always just leaving her as a child and like right. to, and to never really have those. I mean, there's like one moment in the film where you kind of see a burst of emotion out of her, but for some strange reason, she just seems like very resigned to like everything that's happening in the movie. And not not to say that she doesn't take great agency in the film because she does. Like she she takes over a lot of scenes, I think, and, and overall her performance is quite good, especially in the in the role or in the character and what's asked of her in terms of like a being being an action movie uh, superstar in a way. I think that she does that bit quite well. I mean, she's ripped too. Like she's not super bulky. Or very, and I mean, in some ways, not super athletic looking, but she—it's it, there, and you can see it, and that's something I really appreciated about her uh, in this role. And that, at the same time, saying that it isn't sexualized is a great is a great thing. And I was worried that they were going to do that because, I mean, Alicia Vikander is a very attractive person, like, and it, they could have easily certainly. I mean, when I say that she's not a sex symbol like Angelina Jolie is, that's not what I mean at all. She's not, she's not um, yeah, known just, for being like an yeah, incredibly sexy exactly, or attractive exactly. person, but she's there, and they could have easily taken the character in that direction if they had wanted to, and they didn't, and I, and I appreciated that. And But as for her acting, I agree that she could have delivered a little bit more, but I'm sure she's also just like really confused on like what to do, because it doesn't, it doesn't appear to me that she was given very much direction on like what to do with the character, so... I'm willing to give her a free pass. Granted, I think that if there is another Tomb Raider film, she's she for me, she's going to need to do better. Yeah, and I and I think she will. You know, like you know, we talked about, and and you know, maybe a lot of it does have to do with her her history. You know, we talked about how she's used to doing these serious dramatic films. Um, so maybe she brought more of that sort of approach to a movie that you know maybe should have been a little bit more fun. Um, and so I, but I think, you know, she will probably learn a lot from this movie and from the response to this movie. Yeah. And I think some of the, the woodenness that I was talking about also just comes from, we talked about lack of chemistry in the last movie, but like a lack of chemistry with like pretty much everyone, with the exception maybe being Daniel Wu's like Rulent, like, or yeah. sorry, uh, Lou Ren. I think that their chemistry is like fine. It's nothing outstanding, but like to see her and like Walton Goggins on the screen together made me want to vomit. Like they just like. I, I, get, I get they're not on the same team, and they're not, like, supposed to get along, but, like, goodness, there's, like, nothing there. <laughs> Which is crazy, because they're both such great actors. Um, so, I mean, I think that really shows you that it's the 
the people behind the scenes who maybe you know are the are the ones who are to blame here for why this movie is not as not as great. But I mean, you know, Walton Goggins, I was I was really excited to see him as a villain because um, I think he plays a fantastic villain uh, in things like The Hateful Eight um, and uh, you know on, on TV and, and the show Justified. He was incredible in that show for three or four seasons um as a villain so you know i think he's he's a, he, he, he can play a great villain but again we don't know a lot about this ca- character um and and so there's only so much that he can do agreed yeah i, I don't really have much more to add to that it was really disappointing to be honest, and, and I, I to echo again, I think that a lot of, a lot of this has to do with what you alluded to as, as the kind of the behind the cameras staff. Maybe maybe it's Rory Uthog, I don't know, but whatever does happen for the sequel, which I'm sure will will it will get one, uh, unless this movie doesn't make back its budget or something like that, which I think it, it isn't in too much danger of happening because it did have a strong opening weekend. But uh, it's gonna need it's gonna need something more. I mean, I'll probably go see a sequel, but. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna need to be better than this, in my opinion, and, and that is kind of across the board for me. I, there's not really a, a shining moment, except for maybe the action, which I do want to touch on briefly here before we wrap things up, and that the action sequences are quite good in the in this film, and, and maybe that's where Roar Uthog is superior in his directing, in terms of maybe some other directors that they could have maybe attracted that would have been better for the kind of character development aspects. Of, of things because I just starting at the beginning of the of the film with the the bike sequence through London the L- London city proper like that that's a spectacular sequence it's hard, maybe hard to call that an action sequence but it, but it's it's a thrill ride in some ways yeah and I, I liked what I liked about that scene well you know about a lot of the action in this movie is that it's not just a bunch of bland emotionless shootouts yep. um, it's you know very physical like you you know you feel like you're you're right there uh, you know it, involved in the action and the um, cinematography is a big part of that i really appreciated that yes. the action cinematography in this i thought it was very good um there's this shipwreck scene which i thought was very evocative um which is how laura ends up on the island in the first place is her ship gets wrecked um and i thought that that was a very evocative scene like i said um and then some of the stuff towards the end of the movie uh when they get into the tomb I guess was maybe a little bit more of what I was looking for for, from this entire movie, which is, you know, booby traps and they're solving puzzles and stuff, um, which I think is, you know, like I said, maybe this is the approach that the movie should have taken all along because that stuff is kind of fun. And, you know, it it, it really goes along with the feeling of adventure that I think this movie really wanted to capture, uh, but didn't. Uh, So, so yeah, I think uh, a lot of the, uh, the action is is well it's well shot as you mentioned um you know i was i was at least somewhat invested in it um it, you know there's some good foot chases too i i i have a uh, i don't know what it is but i always enjoy when movies have foot chases um <laughs> and th- there's there's some very uh there's some very good ones in this movie um and like but it, you know they do feel like a video game sometimes though like i think this is maybe where the video gamey feel comes in the most yeah. it's like you know you have these scenes where oh she's running away and all of a sudden she's you know at, at an impasse and where's she going to go now but oh look there's this conveniently placed thing for her to swing on yep. or something like that and you know it, it it does feel like a, a video game in that respect yeah but, the, you know the, i was still very drawn in by the scenes yeah the the video gamey nature of that scene in particular the one in hong kong where she's trying to find a ship to take her to the island off the coast of Japan. 
Yeah. Is that the is that the scene you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where she swings on like the hook thing. That's yeah. a that is a terrible scene, like that, a terrible <laughs> sequence. Like I I wish they had just they had just done where like she walks onto the heart like onto the onto like the harbor area and just finds the ship immediately because I would have liked that better than what they actually showed on the screen, which was this yeah. long drawn out like first off way too long of a scene, uh, <laughs> and drawn out foot chase as you described, then kind hand to hand fight kind of, and then finally she just happens to land or end up on the ship she was seeking all along through no way of finding it on her own. It was it was a bad scene. I, I also I could... thought it was very convenient, too, that, like, when the ship wrecks, she still ends up on the island that they were going towards. Like, I mean, I know that, yeah, they're in the general vicinity of the island when the ship wrecks, but it just seems like a very struck of good luck, like, well, our ship got destroyed, but who cares, because we made it here anyway. Yeah, well, there's some, like, lore behind the island in the video game, which you may or may not remember, that, like, it, it actually, it's not just designed to, like, destroy ships around it, or, like, the the curse of the island isn't designed to, like, destroy ships around it, but it actually, like, sucks people into the island, essentially. So, I mean, there's, like, some, there's some excuse for that based on the video. I mean, you don't get any of that background sounds in this like, movie. Sounds like this freaking odyssey or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the video game way more leans into, like, some supernatural aspects. I mean, this, this, yeah. this, I mean, this movie does, at, at some moments... I think lean into some, at least a, a potential supernatural explanation for the phenomenon of what of what's going on. Although it doesn't ultimately it doesn't end up in a supernatural uh, ex- explanation, but the right. the video game very much does. And so there's some like there's some discrepancy there, which make which could potentially explain how it was so easy that she ended up back on the island. That being said, <laughs> it is it is very convenient, and you don't get any of that sort of background in the in the film. Not at all. Cool. I don't know if I really have much else to, to add about this movie. We, I mean, we could talk spoilers, but, I mean, that would just lead to me ranting more about how bad the plot is to this movie. I don't know if you'd like to do that. Uh, I think, well, I want when we get to what our best moment is, I would like to spoil one moment. Okay. And I don't think it's a big deal because... I don't think either one of us is recommending that you see this movie. So yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I would well go ahead and spoil the best parts of it. Sure. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about our favorite scene or moment now from the film, and with with the caveat that though our discussion thus far has been fairly spoil spoiler free, this this discussion might not be. Yeah. So for me, uh, and this is to me the best part of the movie. So after I talk about it, then you can thank me because you don't have to go see it now. Um, <laughs> and the. That is, Walton Goggins' death um, is quite spectacular um, because basically what happens is they get into the tomb and they discover that there's this virus on the, the body of the woman. And, you know, if you touch her, then you basically disintegrate. Like, obviously not copying Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark at all. Um, it's no, definitely to be um, fair. To be fair, it's, it's definitely not copying from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I just want to be clear: like I don't think it's copying from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it, I mean, it, it you can't watch the scene without thinking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Sure, because um, you open the tomb and everything. Yeah, that, it definitely evokes that imagery. Yeah. Um. But so basically, Walton Goggins's character is like, how am I going to, you know, figure out the secret of this? body if i can't actually touch it so he uses like some tweezers he pulls a a finger off of it um then some other events happen uh eventually he and laura are in are fighting laura gets the upper hand and shoves the finger into his mouth and kicks him into this pit as 
his body starts to disintegrate from the finger uh, going into his mouth. And that was awesome. Like, I, I, would, I wanted so many more moments like that throughout this movie. Um, it reminded me of, and I, I won't spoil this one because Scott hasn't seen it and he needs to. And if you haven't seen it, you need to also. Um, and that's the, the movie Don't Breathe. Um, there's a very similar thing that happens uh, in the payoff of this movie. And you know, um, if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what moment I'm talking about. Um, but that is just so satisfying when it happens. Because that's the thing. Like, in a lot of these movies, the whole thing is about, you know, it, it, it's a struggle between the hero and villain through the through the whole movie. So when, they, when the hero finally gets the upper hand, finally kills the villain, uh, you know, you want to be satisfied by what happens because you have spent so much time being invested in this uh, battle between the two of them. And so I do think the movie delivered on that because... Walton Goggins obviously played a very despicable character in this movie, and he met uh, an, an end that uh, was worthy of the character's despicableness. Um, in, in that, so 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 I thought that 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 was effective. Yeah, it's a, it a great scene. I, I'm glad you brought it up because it is like the one standout scene in the, in this movie. I I, I think in, in terms of its quality and and I mean you know you know that she's going to be the one who wins this fight. She's going to kill him and she's going to get out alive. Because that's Tomb Raider for you, like you just know what's going to happen before the end of the sure. movie. But the way it does it is is spectacular. Shoving, right. shoving, shoving the finger in his mouth and then kicking him into the chasm of souls or whatever, whatever that pit's called, uh, is is great. Is great. Is a great moment. But for, to be a little bit different, I will say that I I really like the bike scene at the beginning. That was a cool action sequence that uh, that I enjoyed. I would say that my favorite scene is definitely the one you've just described, though, because that is the that is the moment in this film that that that's worth. That's worth watching, uh, and I like you would would say leading into our discussion of what we're rating this film is that I would only rate this to the most hardcore of of the action adventure genre that just really can't go without seeing every. Or if you're uh, a huge fan of the video games, I guess it's probably worth seeing. I, honestly, it's not. If you're if you're a huge fan of the video games, like, yeah. like maybe, but like it's not worth paying ten bucks or whatever you're gonna pay to go see it. Like just just like cat, like rent it or something. Like get get it some way like really cheap. I guess if you have a movie pass, go watch it. But like. We're not sponsored, but yeah, if you have movie pass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know. So let's just go ahead and jump into ratings here. <laughs> what What are you gonna give this this rebooted Tomb Raider? Well, uh, so here's what I'll say: like, you know, a lot of these video game movies get knocked because they're just aggressively bad. This movie is not aggressively bad by any means. Um, so for that, uh, and because, like I said, the, the best thing to the best way to sum it up is just by meh. Yep. Then I will give it the ultimate meh rating of a 5.0 because I, I think thought that, that was where you were going to warranted. I thought that's where you were going to go. Yeah. I, I agree that like, this is not an Assassin's Creed or I can't even, I've like tried to repress all video game film adaptations recently. Any of the 29 resident evil movies they've made. Oh yeah. Definitely trying to never think about those the rest of my life. But yes, I, I agree. It's a very man movie. And so it's fitting that we're coming in very similarly 4.9 for me. There's just, yeah, I, I mean, the, it's right, because it's like, the plot isn't bad, like, well, okay, I disagree, the plot is bad, but, the, like, there's nothing, there's no, like, there's no particular performance that is bad, it's just, like, all, like, uninspiring. It's competently made. Sure, 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 and the action sequences are the one redeeming quality of the film, I would say. All right, yeah. 5.0 for you, 4.9 for me, I think that should just about put a bow on our discussion of Tomb Raider. We still have a few things to discuss, including an update on the movie trivia showdown and our discussion topic. So let's take a short break, and we'll be back in a second.
Welcome back for part three of today's Some Like It's Got, where we'll be talking some movie trivia schmodown, this episode's discussion topic, and a bit of news. But first, before we get to that, I did want to briefly mention a couple movies that I've seen since our last review episode, those being A Wrinkle in Time and Love, Simon. First, I would say A Wrinkle in Time, to give the really quick synopsis, or not synopsis, but a, a really quick take on it, is that, I think this is what I texted you after I saw it, is that... Uh, the visuals are stunning at times, the acting is solidly average, and the plot is subpar. I think that, I think that is the succinct review of that movie from me. I have talked to a few of my uh, co-workers since, since, giving, since seeing the film, and, and they all were very big fans of the book growing up. And they all talked about how they really enjoyed the movie, even though they recognized it wasn't great. They really enjoyed it. I can't say that I like overly enjoyed it. I I wouldn't say don't go and see it, but this movie is much more enjoyable. It seems if you have if you have read the book and enjoyed the book as a child. So I don't I know that you haven't seen it, Scott. But uh, you said you weren't a fan of the book growing up, or did I get you wrong there? I, I've never read the book. Oh, okay. Um, really didn't have any desire to, and I guess along the same lines, I don't have any desire to see the movie, especially after seeing how poorly received it has been. Yeah, I think I think my hottest take on it is that I've never seen a movie bludgeon you so hard with the theme of Love Conquers All. It just, I think Oprah Winfrey says it like three or four times explicitly during the movie. All you need is love. Oprah would say that in the movie. <laughs> I mean, what that's other... Like, I feel like that's what, that's the, like her... The, the theme of her whole show, basically. Yeah, and love for you, and you. And yeah, you, yeah, you get love, and you get love. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would not rate the film highly. In fact, I would I would rate the film lower than either of the films we've talked about so far today. Uh, that that being said, I don't think it's like, it's like low points aren't as low as like either of the movies we've talked about today either. It's just like, so, it's solidly like subpar to average film. Well, that's good. We have to make up for all these positive reviews we've been giving because I think we're getting a reputation in the film world as being the softest critics out there. So I have, I have, I have rough, gotten, rough a few movies up. yeah, I, I have gotten some feedback about how we're, we're rating movies very positively on our podcast and, and today we're, we're taking a sharp turn. To today to give some more negative reviews but that being said i'm going to switch briefly back into oh and actually give a score for a wrinkle in time i give it a, a 4.4 out of 10 so do, do take with that what you will but for love simon i would like to talk a little bit at a little bit more length than a wrinkle in time because i saw this film actually this this morning and am in love with it it is such a fun movie it we talked maybe briefly over text earlier about how you don't the the genre of coming of age, although it's it's often it, it's a classic genre, right? Like you can there there are so many famous films that do this in, as recent as Lady Bird last year, but to to me the, these films often come fewer and further between than, than say your your average action film or more recently your superhero film, and they're not always done well in my opinion. I, I can think of a few that I'm not in love with, but this film, which I think maybe it's like a coming of age slash romantic comedy drama it, it like it like spans a lot of different genres i think and, and i just had so much fun 
in this movie. I had no idea what it was going to be going in. I wasn't sure if it was going to be good or bad. I hadn't looked at even the Rotten Tomato score, so I didn't know what it was going into the going into the film. And just so, so, so enjoyed it. And I think that I've talked a couple times about films that really don't meet their potential for me. For example, recently, like Three Billboards was a, was a film that I thought had a lot of potential and didn't reach it. For I mean, we can that's a totally different episode. We've talked about this already. But this film is an example of a film having, I think, a very low ceiling for like what it's trying to accomplish because it, it, in some points it's, it's very cliche. And I think because it, because it's a romantic film, it has to end a certain way. And so it's limited by that. But its delivery of its content is so so well done. I think it I think it fully meets its potential to to be quite to be quite frank. And though I wouldn't rate this as highly as some of the other films where I've been actually a little bit more uh, I wouldn't say lukewarm, but I've been a little bit more negative about other films. I'd say that I would I'm going to rate this about an eight point three. But the acting is fantastic. Yeah, Uh, I wonder. I wanted to ask you uh, how. What, what Catherine Langford's performance in the movie was like because, you know, I loved her. I thought she was amazing on 13 Reasons Why. That's the only thing that I've ever seen her in. So I was wondering how she did in her big screen debut. Yeah, Catherine Langford, I believe, plays Leah, who's one of Simon's, the titular character's friends. Let me. That's what I gathered from the trailers that she was like a friend of Simon. Yeah, I, so he has like a friend group, which is like obviously. Well, so the, the, the movie's like very first person in terms of like there's never real. I don't think there's a single scene pretty much without Simon in it. Uh, who's played by Nick Robinson. And I believe that Catherine Langford, yeah, plays Leah Burke, who's one of Simon's best friends, if not his best friend in the movie. She, I think all of the, we'll call them, you know, these are seniors in high school. Obviously, they're a little bit older than that. I think Nick Robinson is like in his early 20s. But they all are very competent. One thing I loved about this film, I I mean, I wouldn't say there's like a single performance that super stands out to me besides Nick Robinson because he has so much screen time. He dominates the film so much because he's in every scene. But for me, the thing that stands out is the very diverse cast. So you have, you know, it's not your typical, like like one, one thing that this might evoke in some ways, although I don't think like the plots are at all similar, is like this reminded me a lot of like, okay, this is Mean Girls. It's set a senior year in high school. Like some people... Like, there, like, there's this theme of bullying and people verbally, like, abusing each other for, like, who they are and stuff like that. And so it reminded me of Mean Girls in that sense. And, like, obviously those are just, like, all white girls in that in that film. Whereas this, this film spans the gamut of you have, you know, minorities, you have white people, you have men, you have women, you have gay characters. Obviously this movie, I kind of, like, I guess buried the lead a little bit, but this movie is about yeah. Simon uh, coming to terms with the fact that he is gay and having to navigate a series of scenarios uh, to as essentially that essentially involve him coming out to his family, to his friends, uh, to his classmates. And there's also an underlying kernel of mystery involved with the film, which I actually quite appreciated and does a very good job. You could never really, like, it's not clever in the sense like you could have figured out who it was, uh, who this mystery, uh, not necessarily lover, but like this mystery uh, confidant is that Simon has, who's corresponding with via email. Uh, they he just goes by the name Blue for most of the movie, and because uh, it's just essentially a correspondence between him and uh, him being Simon and Blue for a large part of the movie in terms of this underlying plot thread of, of him being inspired to come out to his family members uh, and then the, the plot unravels from there. I won't, I won't, I won't spoil anything, but 
it, it is so to say that it's competently done is an understatement. I think the the director is actually uh, I think it's uh, Greg Berlanti who's like super well known for making very very well very well done uh, superhero TV shows. So he's like responsible for like all the shows in the Arrowverse, which is like Arrow. Oh, really? On the CW and all those? Yeah, Arrow, The Flash. Uh, I don't know about Supergirl because that's technically not a CW show. Although Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. I think Black Adam is most is the most recent one. So he's like very well known for that. And, to, and for him, to, I mean, he's directed other movies before, but for him to direct this kind of film kind of really caught me off guard when I saw who was the director for it. And it's so good. Like it's so, so good. I, I could not like I could not recommend this higher to anyone. Like we talked about, you have to, you have to go see Annihilation, even though it's not a perfect film. I think this is a film you have to go see. Like this is just fantastic. It is. I mean, I will say it's like not- notably the first film to to deal with like the romantic drama of a gay protagonist in the way that it does. Especially. At least it, for for a teenager, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes, like yes, in, yes. In, to be clear, in this coming of age setting. That, that's yeah. what that's what I was specifically talking about. Yes, you're right. It's not the first film to deal with a gay, uh, like a gay protagonist coming to terms yeah. with being gay. Definitely not the first film to do that. But the first kind of coming of age romantic comedy focused on a gay protagonist. Um, you know, I found it just to be. I could I just couldn't recommend it highly enough. It's an eight point three because it, it. I think it has a it has a lower ceiling because of just the the cliched moments that it has. Mm-hmm. And that it comes to terms with and ultimately leans into, which I, which, I mean, you can only do so much with that, in my opinion, but it does everything that it can with it. All right. Great. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I can't recommend it higher enough. We're not going to talk about it on this podcast more beyond what we just did, but I don't know if there's anything that you've been watching recently, Scott, that you'd like to talk about. Uh, well, sort of on the other end of the spectrum from your two, like brand new movies that you saw, um, I, this past week, um, watched a couple of old westerns um and you know no for no particular reason like you know i sometimes i just get a hankering to watch like a classic movie and this re- for for some reason this week it was a western so I, first i watched the searchers which is considered by many to be the greatest western of all time um it is i think number 12 on afi's best 100 movies 100 best movies of all time um starring john wayne directed by John Ford um, about uh, you know John Wayne's quest to uh, he plays this ex Confederate soldier who uh, tries to locate his uh, niece after spends spends years trying to locate his niece after she is kidnapped by Native Americans. Um, amazingly powerful movie. Um, John Wayne, incredible performance. It's like it's got humor, it's got heart. Like it, this movie has everything, and one of the greatest final shots in film history as well. So, I mean, not a lot you can say about that um, that hasn't already been said. And along the same lines, I enjoyed The Searchers so much, and I'd actually seen The Searchers before, but it had been a long time. But I enjoyed it so much that I decided to watch another western, uh, one that I hadn't seen before. Uh, called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, uh, which is, I think, an even older older movie than The Searchers. It was in black and white, actually. Um, but it stars the amazing uh, trio of Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne, and Lee Marvin, um, which is like, you cannot go wrong if you have those three actors at the top of the bill uh, in your movie. But basically, Jimmy Stewart plays a um, lawyer, like a very mild-mannered lawyer, who uh, is assaulted on his way somewhere um, by Lee Marvin's character, Liberty Valance, who is this 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 just this awful like 
notorious outlaw. Um, and Jimmy Stewart ends up being taken to the uh, nearby town where Liberty Valance lives. Um, and he, he, he's sort of taken in at this hotel um, by, among others, a, a woman played by Vera Miles, who's also in The Searchers, um, that he falls in love with. Um, uh, but he's also, you know, trained by John John Wayne. Basically, no one in the town has the guts to stand up to Liberty Valance because he is so awful. But Jimmy Stewart makes it his mission to take Liberty Valance down, and John Wayne plays this rancher who's like the the one tough guy in the whole town. Um, and so the two of them, he, he basically trains Jimmy Stewart on, you know, how he's going to do this. Um, and it's just a great movie. I mean, two incredible actors. Again, it's got a lot of humor in it. Um, and, you know, the, you, you can't go wrong with most of old, John Wayne's old westerns. Like, yeah, I, we were talking just a moment ago, but uh, he may not have have a lot of range, but there are a few actors which I would hold in higher regard than, than John Wayne. He's just so good at what he does uh, in every movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously these movies have been out for 70 years, um, but they're both, if I had to rate them, they're both easily 10 out of 10s. Uh, so... Oh, wow. Definitely, definitely see them. Uh, I mean, you know, I think I just hold maybe hold classic movies in higher regard in general, but I think these movies earn their perfect ratings. They're both superb. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always something to say for a movie that stands the test of time, and so to be watching a movie seventy years later and talking about it in the same glowing terms that it might have been talked about at the time speaks a lot. Yeah. Awesome. So why don't we go ahead and move on now to some movie trivia schmodown chat. I know it, it's a bit of a light week in terms of things to talk about because they, I mean, they weren't very serious matches in terms of consequences for the league as a whole. But why don't you give us a quick repack, a recap of what we've seen over the last week? Yeah, so we had two matches this week that were, we saw on YouTube. Of course, Thursday was the uh, much-hyped live schmodown uh, that took place in Los Angeles. Uh, JTE Roca singles match with an undercard of what the wild berries against the real rejects and apparently we will see that match on youtube sometime around the end of the month hate to have to wait that long uh, because i'm sure it's going to be really entertaining but uh, we will get to see that before too long but the two matches we had this week so we had the second intergeekdom five-way match um, to determine who would be playing mark donica donica uh, for that number one contender spot in the intergeekdom division uh, this match was not as close as the first five-way, which kind of saw a, a big duel between Donica and Adam Halavac. Um, this match was basically controlled by the ex-Bachelorette contestant, Jared Habon, um, who, uh, you know, he's he, he is not someone who has ever competed in the showdown before. However, uh, he was at the uh, Spectacular, um, and he appeared in, like, the the pre, pre-spectacular scenes where Emma was backstage interviewing people and he was there watching as a fan. He's another Schmodown fan, um, but uh, this was his first time in the ring, and he acquitted himself very nicely. Uh, he controlled this match basically from the very beginning. Um, he was really good. I mean, l- yeah, let's not... He, let's he not, was. Yeah. I don't know if how he'll be able to cha- challenge Donica because Donica was also very good. Um, but the only person who really gave him even a spot of bother was Taylor Robinson, who is one of the biggest reactors in the Schmodown universe, uh, most well-known reactors. Um, and she started off very slowly. Uh, it took her like five questions before she even got one right. But then she ended up being the last man standing against uh, Jared. But again, still didn't give him too much of trouble. 
Jared did not have to answer a question in the final round, I don't believe. Yeah. Um, the funniest part of this episode for me was the fact that after the match, he was 1-0 with four knockouts. Yeah. <laughs> Which I cannot, ima- I cannot uh, imagine someone having a better stat line after one match than that. Um, but So Jared will move on to play Mark Donica, and the winner of that will face Jason Edmond for the Intergate of Belt. Uh, then Friday, we had another match featuring a Schmodown Reactor. This time it was Dale the Dude. Um, who is the notorious, he's a hillbilly, let's just say it. Um, it is a but, personality though, right? That's like not his actual. I mean, I think that's his accent, but yeah, he obviously plays it up a lot with the fact, you know, the fact that he's saying dude every sentence, dude. Um, and he's a huge um, J, um, Roka and Top Ten fan. Um, and he, you know, he kind of became popular last year, but. Uh, he he got his got his first match against a, a person who could not be more different from him. Uh, that being Ben Bateman, uh, who of course his character is just kind of the cool uh, douchebag who like you know doesn't care about anyone or anything else. Yeah. Um, he's from Team Action. From Team Action, yes. Yeah. Um, he's the he's the one who can actually compete. Andrew Guy is still banned, of course, after tackling Roka at the spectacular, but. Um, <laughs> he went up against Dale the Dude, and I wasn't really sure how Dale was going to do um, because I, you know, I don't didn't know a lot about his movie knowledge, um, but I thought he did okay. I mean, Ben uh, did knock him out. I believe fifteen nine was the final score, um, but Dale hung with him at least in the first round, um, and he was able to get a couple questions in the second round after going down a multiple choice. Um, so you know, maybe in the future. He he might he might have some kind of a future if he studies up a little bit more. Um, it was the again, it was it the was steal match. it was the steal in the second round that kind of really turned the tide of the whole match. Right, the two point steal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was tough. Uh-huh. It was that kind of buried. He was still keeping up with him at that point, but then you just felt like the the energy gets sucked out of the match when Ben Bateman stole stole one of one of the wheel questions for two points from him, and then had his whole wheel round himself. Right. Um, so. Ben won that match that was technically well not exactly his singles debut because he did play in the five-way match last year um, to determine who would be the last competitor into the uh, ultimate showdown and he, he ended up was one of the final two standing but he lost that to Jason Inman um, but uh, now uh, come in the upcoming week on Tuesday we have a huge match um, the Shire Wolves are finally making their debut. Rachel Cushing and Clark Wolf, all female team, who is I think is going to do very well, and they're taking on the Lions Den. Uh, that being Tom Dagnino and Ken uh, Kylo Ken Knapsack, um, in what should be uh, a, a very entertaining match, and also one that has a lot of implications for the league. Um, so definitely looking forward to that uh, next week. And then we have the free for all coming up next month. Uh, Christian announced this week, I think there's like 45, 48 competitors. Um, A lot. (laughs) Yeah, so that is going to be awesome, obviously. Um, So yeah, a lot of good things coming up. Absolutely, and then like you said already, we we will be getting the the live uh, Schmodown matches uh, trickling out slowly. I think we're going to get the Wild Berries against the Real Rejects first, and then eventually we'll get the the Outlaw versus uh, Little Evil as well. Yeah, that that, that sounds right. All right, I think it's time for this episode's discussion topic. I think this one might be in honor of a director we'll be discussing on our next episode and who we've actually already discussed before. But I'll let you go ahead and explain what this is going to be. 
Yeah, so on next week's episode, we are going to be discussing two more new movies. Um, first one being uh, Isle of Dogs, which is the latest from Wes Anderson. Um, and the second one being uh, definitely one of the most hyped movies of this first quarter of the year. Uh, Ready Player One, um, based on the popular novel, um, directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, who is the focus of this week's discussion topic. Uh, the question, very simple what is your favorite film from the great director, Steven Spielberg? Um, and I'll start with you, Scott. Sure. You know, when you, when you, po- when you pose this as the discussion topic of the week, I was immediately like, well, this is going to take me a little while to think about because yeah. there are just so many to choose from. And I know this, we discussed this briefly beforehand, but I, I, I will come out and say that it's definitely Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Just going to go ahead and get it out there. Best Spielberg movie ever. So, no, I'm kidding. That movie was terrible. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so actual good Spielberg movie. Honestly, I, I was surprised that he directed that. I, I should have known that, but I can't believe he would put out such garbage. Anyway, so mo- movies that are in the category for best Steven Spielberg movies for me, like, it'd be really it'd be really easy to pick something like, you know, you have, the, you know, Schindler's List, you have Saving Private Ryan, Dra- the original Jurassic Park even, I think, could be in the discussion, uh, as well as, you know, more recently maybe... Uh, Catch Me If You Can or Lincoln. Uh, the, I mean, last year we had The Post, although I don't think either of us would argue that as that being in the top tier of Spielberg films. Hopefully hopefully, no one would argue that as the best Spielberg movie. But I mean, maybe, maybe maybe if you're really into that. I, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and make that argument. But for me, we're, this is, it's, it's really key that this is favorite Spielberg film. And I, and I want to talk about one that I saw actually for the first time last year, even though it came out in the early 2000s. And that is Minority Report, starring Tom Cruise, as well as a, a, a host of other recognizable cast members. And I, I kind of had this Philip K. Dick uh, kick last year, not to, not to rhyme unintentionally there, uh, for around Blade Runner 2049 coming out. And I went back and watched the original Blade Runner, and then I watched Minority Report as well. And I absolutely loved this film. It, I'd never seen it before, as I mentioned. I mean, I knew Tom Cruise was in it, and I knew it existed out there. But this is a movie that I just really, really enjoyed. And I wanted to talk about this one just because it's, it's not one that would automatically come to your mind because it's, it's very different than what you normally see Steven Spielberg direct. Yeah, exactly. It is like, the, for one, it's a sci-fi movie, which, you know, he has directed some sci-fi movies. Yeah, like War of the um, Worlds and something like that. Yeah, sure, yeah. And, and even going all the way back to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But um, it's, it's not, you know, you've come to expect crowd-pleasing movies, movies that appeal to just about every every audience uh, when you think about Steven Spielberg or, or you know, historically-based films like The Post or like Schindler's List. Um, so, you know, you kind of know what to expect with Spielberg. Um, so that's why I think this movie was such a breath of fresh air, and I also am a huge fan of this movie. Um, obviously, I think Tom Cruise is the best action star there is. Um so I think that definitely adds to my enjoyment of it as well. But I think the story is so interesting, like such a great concept for a movie, obviously based off the Philip K. Dick story. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's an adventurous film for Spielberg to take on. And, uh, you know, I think he does a brilliant job because because, there, you know, there is some some sort of complicated lingo and everything you know complicated ideas to the setup of the movie but i think he makes it so easy so streamlined for the audience 
um, yep. that we, we go along for the ride, and it's great. Yeah, it, it's a really smart film, and I, and I don't want to credit Steven Spielberg as being the the sole, you know the mastermind behind that because I think that a lot of that has to do with you know the people who adapted the the the, the novella by Philip K. Dick, which we've already mentioned. But, I mean, this movie is so smart. It asks a lot of questions, and it doesn't answer all of them. And I'm a huge fan of movies that ask a lot of questions and don't give you all the answers to them. Uh, not and, and in a compelling way, right? There's a there's a smart way to do that, and there's a, and a not-so-smart way to do that. And I think this movie is up there in the in the movies, and I think this is Spielberg that does it in a really smart way. Yeah, and the screenplay is by Scott Frank, who just wrote Logan. He's yep. a great screenwriter, just got nominated for an Oscar for Logan. Yeah, for, um, first superhero film to get nominated for an Oscar in the in a, in a category outside of like visual effects and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so so you know he's great. And I will say, like, if you ha- don't know much about this movie, but you're a huge Black Mirror fan, this is like the ultimate, like you have to see this movie because this is literally, this is the ultimate Black Mirror the movie. Um, yep. Like, it has probably the best idea of, you know, any black mirror episode as far as you know the future uh, you know future technology that that may be possible and you know what are the repercussions of that of course in minority report it's all about preventing murders before they happen yeah and and actually there i mean there's you, you see these kind of themes in, in movies actually actually more frequently than you might think because you know captain america the winter soldier which doesn't at a, on its surface seem like a movie that would reflect some of these themes but a, a lot of the core part of that movie is about whether or not you should be able to prevent uh, aggression against you before it happens and you know there's that's a core tenet to that plot and so to, to, you kind of see threads of this this story and this movie pop up from time to time you mentioned black mirror i just mentioned the winter soldier but you know it, it's a common theme and, and i and i and i view this and i'm sure it's been covered before this movie but this is this is a movie that really popularized it to me yeah absolutely definitely agree all right on to your pick what's your favorite spielberg fan uh spielberg well, film I- I decided uh, to go with a classic and a movie which we've actually already mentioned on this episode, and that is Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, honestly, I think maybe, I don't know, it's, it's a close call, but, and which is my favorite of the series between this one and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, I love Sean Connery's uh, performance in that movie, in the latter movie as Indiana Jones's father. But Raiders of the Lost Ark is just such a classic, and it, like, there are a few movies, I think, which have spawned so many offshoots and so many movies, like, trying to be like it, um, but nothing has ever managed to capture the magic of that original film. You know, the, the, the thrilling adventure, um, the humor, um, you know, that, of course, that, that scene guy who twirls the swords and he does all this you know amazing uh, amazing sword tricks like uh, trying to intimidate Indy and then he just pulls out his gun and shoots him is like you know classic hilarious moment um, in, an, in an action movie and of course Harrison Ford one of the greatest action heroes ever uh, you know as Indiana Jones um, it, it's just so iconic every scene in this movie um, and like I said it's it, it, you could you can still see its influence in movies like Tomb Raider, um, which I think only wish they could capture a tenth of the, the you know spirit of adventure that you get from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I won't harp on it too much because this is a movie that most everyone has seen, and if you haven't seen it, then what are you doing with your life? Um, yeah, and, and if you have seen it, you should go watch it again. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. just so enjoyable you know, every time you see it. it. It's it's a true classic. Um, 
So I don't think I need to explain myself too much further on that. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's a great, it's a great film. We're maybe we're certainly not not mentioning the best films that Spielberg has created, but these are quality films that are so enjoyable to go watch. And I totally agree with your pick of Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right. So to finish up today's episode, we just have a few news topics to quickly hit. Probably won't take too long. But first, since James Bond has already come up once in this film, it's only fitting that we're going to talk a little bit about the next James Bond film, Bond 25. There are reports recently that Danny Boyle is going to be involved in the movie. I don't know if you're super familiar with Danny Boyle or not, Sky. I have a hunch that you are because you're very <laughs> tuned into the movie world. But uh, how, how, yeah. does this, how does this uh, affect you that Danny Boyle is involved? Uh, well, it's interesting. I mean, he is not known for doing action movies. Um, you know, he's some of his more famous works, I guess, would be uh, would be Train Spotting, um, yep. and uh, and then also uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Couldn't think of the name of it for a second. Yeah. Uh, which you know was a Best Picture winner back in two thousand and eight. Um, yep. Great movie, movie that I love. Um, pieces. Uh, and st- and the Steve Jobs movie. Oh, he did direct that. That was also great. Um, written by Aaron Sorkin, of course. Got to got to get my Sorkin name drop in for this episode. It's been a, it's um, been a few episodes, so it had to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that is also a great movie. So he's a very talented director. Um, but you know, I don't know that he's taken on a movie of this, like the hype level that will be that will surround this movie. Um, but you know, he is British, so I think maybe you know he understands the James Bond legacy uh, maybe better than. Some other directors might, you know, from other countries. Um, yeah, I mean, so, Sam Mendes was the director, I believe, of the last two Bond right. films, and so I was intrigued because, especially because Daniel Craig was coming is is confirmed for coming back for this for right. this for what is believed it will be his actual last film as James Bond. And I was actually just kind of surprised they just didn't like finish out the saga with Sam Mendes. Like, why I thought it was actually just going to be nailed on that Sam Mendes would do the would do this film after Daniel Craig said he was going to come back because it seems only fitting that he would finish out this kind of saga that i believe has developed over the course of daniel craig's uh, tenure as james bond but they're going a different direction i mean maybe danny Bo- danny boyle will will continue the these themes and the and the plot of the last several movies but we'll see yeah i think he's you know he's known for doing some interesting things visually especially in a movie like train spotting so we'll see if he tries to you know bring any of his more creative tendencies to you know a franchise that while still very enjoyable has a very tried and true formula as well, um, and you know hasn't hasn't had very many experimental outings in its in the entire series. And when it has gone in some more experimental directions, it has not always paid the the best results. Um, if you're thinking back to some of the Roger Moore Bond entries, but sure, sure. And to talk about another classic franchise, though I don't think it's experienced the same success recently as James Bond has, as Daniel Craig is often viewed as one of the best Bonds, if not the best. But uh, Terminator, the Terminator franchise, might be getting a complete reboot. And by complete reboot, I mean partial reboot, because I just misspoke. And that is basically with James Cameron, at least in conversations, to to come back and direct a new movie. But it essentially, through some finagling of the plot that I will not go into, because some of it's a little bit over my head, I'm not super familiar with the Terminator timeline, but is essentially going to wipe out some of the the events of the previous films. there's like a lot of intricacies. I think I'm sorry for the big Terminator fans out there who probably know the intricacies of the plots uh, a lot better than I do. But it essentially, is coming back and will be delivering a kind of a, a sequel to either Terminator Two or Terminator Three, and it will also star Arnold Schwarzenegger. Interesting. Well, I think if it does come back, it 
James Cameron definitely needs to be involved because it did, the series did sort of go off the rails after he left. Um, but, you know, obviously the, the original trilogy and especially the first two movies, uh, which Cameron directed, are true classics. As far as, you know, contemporary action movies go, they don't get much better than the first two Terminator movies. Um, so I agree, if it comes back, I think James Cameron definitely needs to be involved. Yeah, I mean, and even if he doesn't direct, like, they just need him in charge, you know what I mean? Yeah, he, he didn't direct the third movie, he he only wrote the third movie, yeah. but he was still very solidly entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I heard this rumor and I was kind of surprised, because I feel like James Cameron's life is just going to be eternally Avatar at this point, because there's, like, <laughs> apparently four sequels being made. Yeah, <laughs> That's like George R.R. R. Martin, like, he's there's no way he's actually going to get through all of the Game of Thrones books. Yeah, I mean, that's a different story, because I think James Cameron actually will deliver all four Avatar movies, even though we we'll probably see. don't want them. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, cool. apparently because they're filming, like, all of them simultaneously, is what I hear. Ah, uh, okay. Because they're supposed that to, like, happen, sense. like, three of them are supposed to happen chronologically at the same time, in, like, different areas. Of the Gosh. of. I'm not going to dive too deep on this, but apparently they're all happening at the same time, uh, across the different regions of Pandora, and then the final film, like, brings them all together. Who knows? It's It's the Avatar cinematic universe. We'll see if it's visually as groundbreaking as the original Avatar was. But Why we'll, is that a thing? Yeah, anyway. So back to Terminator. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. It's something that came across my radar that was interesting because it seems like there's a common theme of rebooting some franchises recently. With, you have Tomb Raider here, and then you know if Terminator does go back and try to wipe out the catastrophe that was the last two movies, especially the last one with um, oh, the star from Game of Thrones. What's What was what it? Clark. Amelia Clark. That's who it is. Oh, yeah, um, Amel- right, yeah. Yeah, Amelia Clark was the lead in the last one. and it, it, it doesn't get talked about that much, thank God, because if it did, it would just be horrible. Because I know it, it, it is in, in the gutter on Rotten Tomato, I know. Yeah, like I said, it, it did go off the rails even, you know, going back to Terminator Salvation. Which yeah, with Christian Bale. Is that Christian right. Bale and Sam Worthington? Isn't yes. That? Yeah, oof. Anyway, I remember seeing that in theaters, and I think I've tried to forget it since then. Regardless, I think that just about does it for episode six of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today, other than the fact that you will be uh, re-engaging those March Madness tweets again uh, come Thursday? Yeah, I want to give a brief shout-out, um, because this past weekend I was down at my alma mater in Greenville at Furman University, um, and for the 21st time in the last twenty second, last 22 years... Um, Furman Mock Trial is going to the national tournament. Um, not too shabby for a school, uh, a, a tiny school in South Carolina with 2,400 students, if I do say so myself. So as a proud alumnus of the Furman Mock Trial program, uh, I wanted to give a shout out um, to the squad for making it to Minneapolis. Um, and who knows, maybe this is the year when they finally will bring the trophy home. So shout out to my fellow Dens. Absolutely. Always always good to, to give your alma mater a shout-out and be proud of, of your roots, if you will. All right, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Scarvey Dent, lamenting the future of Tennessee athletics, as always. <laughs> awesome. I can be found at, at shelton 2013 over on Twitter. But more importantly, you can follow the podcast on Twitter as well as at, at as well at, at Media Plug Pods. Oof, that's a tongue poster. As well as over on Facebook where you can search for Some Like It Scott or Media Plug Pods and follow. We also want to remind you about our Patreon page. That's most important to us, more important than Twitter or Facebook. And we'd love it if you checked us out over there. And especially so if you decide to support us 
which would help us cover the cost of making the show in exchange for some reward tiers. The At the $1 level, you get all our episodes early, and then the reward tiers scale up from there. If you ever choose not to support us on Patreon, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, where we'd really appreciate it if you rated, reviewed us, subscribed, shared, all the things that go along with that, so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. All right. As always, I've always said enough at the end of this episode, it feels like. So we really appreciate all of you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We really appreciate it. We'll be back in a couple weeks with two more movie reviews. As Scott already mentioned, Wes Anderson's newest movie, Isle of Dogs, and then Steven Spielberg's newest film as well, Ready Player One. But until then, we hope you have a wonderful day. For Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 